Since Squire's first paper on Eugene's habit was published, the science of habit formation has exploded into a major field of study. Researchers at Duke, Harvard, UCLA, Yale, USC, Princeton, the University of Pennsylvania, and at schools in the United Kingdom, Germany, and the Netherlands, as well as corporate scientists working for Procter & Gamble, Microsoft, Google, and hundreds of other companies are focused on understanding the neurology and psychology of habits, their strengths and weaknesses, and why they emerge and how they can be changed. Researchers have learned that cues can be almost anything from a visual trigger such as a candy bar or a television commercial to a certain place, a time of day, an emotion, a sequence of thoughts or the company of particular people. Routines can be incredibly complex or fantastically simple. Some habits such as those related to emotions are measured in milliseconds. Rewards can range from food or drugs that cause physical sensations to emotional payoffs such as the feelings of pride that accompany praise or self-congratulation. And in almost every experiment, researchers have seen echoes of Squire's discoveries with Eugene. Habits are powerful but delicate. They can emerge outside our consciousness or can be deliberately designed. They often occur without our permission, but can be reshaped by fiddling with their parts. They shape our lives far more than we realize. They are so strong, in fact, that they can cause our brains to cling to them at the exclusion of all else, including common sense. In one set of experiments, for example, Researchers affiliated with the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism trained mice to press levers in response to certain cues until the behavior became a habit. The mice were always rewarded with food. Then the scientists poisoned the food so that it made the animals violently ill or electrified the floor so that when the mice walked towards their reward, they received a shock. The mice knew the food and cage were dangerous. When they were offered the poisoned pellets in a bowl or saw the electrified floor panels, they stayed away. When they saw their old cues, however, they unthinkingly pressed the lever and ate the food or they walked across the floor even as they vomited or jumped from the electricity. The habit was so ingrained, the mice couldn't stop themselves. It's not hard to find an analog in the human world. Consider fast food, for instance. It makes sense when the kids are starving and you are driving home after a long day to stop just this once at McDonald's or Burger King. The meals are inexpensive. It tastes so good. After all, one dose of processed meat Salty fries and sugary soda poses a relatively small health risk, right? It's not like you do it all the time. But habits emerge without our permission. Studies indicate that families usually don't intend to eat fast food on a regular basis. What happens is that once a month, pattern slowly becomes once a week, 
then twice a week as the cues and rewards create a habit until the kids are consuming an unhealthy amount of hamburgers and fries. When researchers at the University of North Texas and Yale tried to understand why families gradually increased their fast food consumption, they found a series of cues and rewards that most customers never knew were influencing their behaviors. They discovered the habit loop. Every McDonald's, for instance, looks the same. The company deliberately tries to standardize store's architecture and what employees say to customers so everything is a consistent cue to trigger eating routines. The foods at some chains are specifically engineered to deliver immediate rewards. The fries, for instance, are designed to begin disintegrating the moment they hit your tongue in order to deliver a hint of salt and grease as fast as possible causing your pleasure centers to light up and your brain to lock in the pattern. All the better for tightening the habit loop. However, even these habits are delicate. When a fast food restaurant closes down, the families that previously ate there will often start having dinner at home rather than seek out an alternative location. Even small shifts can end the pattern. But since we often don't recognize these habit loops as they grow, we are blind to our ability to control them. By learning to observe the cues and rewards, though, we can change the routines. By 2000, seven years after Eugene's illness, his life had achieved a kind of equilibrium. He went for a walk every morning. He ate what he wanted, sometimes five or six times a day. His wife knew that as long as the television was tuned to the History Channel, Eugene would settle into his plush chair and watch it regardless of whether it was airing reruns or new programs. He couldn't tell the difference. As he got older, however, Eugene's habits started impacting his life in negative ways. He was sedentary. Sometimes watching television for hours at a time because he never grew bored with the shows, his physicians became worried about his hurt. The doctors told Beverly to keep him on a strict diet of healthy foods. She tried, but it was difficult to influence how frequently he ate or what he consumed. He never recalled her admonitions. Even if the refrigerator was stocked with fruits and vegetables, Eugene would root around until he found the bacon and eggs. That was his routine. And as Eugene aged and his bones became more brittle, the doctor said he needed to be more careful walking around. In his mind, however, Eugene was 20 years younger. He never, never remembered to step carefully. All my life, I was fascinated by memory, Squire told me. Then I met E.P. And I saw how rich life can be even if you can't remember it. The brain has this amazing ability to find happiness even when the memories of it are gone. It's hard to turn that off, though which ultimately worked against him. Beverly tried to use her understanding of habits to help Eugene avoid problems as he aged. 
she discovered that she could short circuit some of his worst patterns by inserting new cues if she didn't keep bacon in the fridge eugene wouldn't eat multiple unhealthy breakfast when she put a salad next to his chew he would sometimes pick at it and as the meal became a habit he stopped searching the kitchen for treats his diet gradually improved despite these efforts however eugene's health still declined one spring day eugene was watching television when he suddenly shouted beverly ran in and saw him clutching his chest she called an ambulance at the hospital they diagnosed a minor heart attack by then the pain has passed and eugene was fighting to get off his gurney that night he kept pulling off the monitors attached to his chest so he could roll over and sleep alarms would blare and nurses would rush in they tried to get him to quit fiddling with the sensors by tapping the leads in place and telling him that they would use restraints if he continued fussing nothing worked he forgot the threats as soon as they were issued then his daughter told a nurse to try complimenting him on his willingness to sit still and to repeat the compliment over and over each time she saw him we wanted to you know get his pride involved his daughter carol raised told me we would say oh dad you're really doing something important for science by keeping these doodads in place the nurses started to dote on him he loved it after a couple of days he did whatever they asked eugene returned home a week later then in the fall of 2008 while walking through his living room eugene tripped on a ledge near the fireplace fell and broke his hip at the hospital squire and his team worried that he would have panic attacks because he wouldn't know where he was so they left notes by his bedside explaining what had happened and posted photos of his children on the walls his wife and kids came every day eugene however never grew worried he never asked why he was in the hospital he seemed at peace with all the uncertainty by that point said squire it had been 15 years since he had lost his memory it was as if part of his brain knew there were some things he would never understand and he was okay with that Beverly came to hospital every day. I spent a long time talking to him, she said. I told him that I loved him and about our kids and what a good life we had. I pointed to the pictures, talked about how much he was adored. We were married for 57 years and 42 of those were a real normal marriage. Sometimes it was hard because I wanted my old husband back so much but at least i knew he was happy a few weeks later his daughter came to visit what's the plan eugene asked when she arrived she took him outside in a wheelchair onto the hospital's lawn it's a beautiful day eugene said pretty nice weather huh she told him about her kids and they played with the dog she thought he might be able to come home soon The sun was going down. She started to get ready to take him inside. Eugene looked at her. I'm lucky to have a daughter like you, he said. 
she was caught off guard she couldn't remember the last time he had said something so sweet i'm lucky that you are my dad she told him gosh it's a beautiful day he said what do you think about the weather that night at 1 o'clock in the morning beverly's phone rang the doctor said eugene had suffered a massive heart attack and the staff had done everything possible but hadn't been able to revive him he was gone after his death he would be celebrated by researchers the images of his brain studied in hundreds of labs and medical schools i know he would have been really proud to know how much he contributed to science beverly told me he told me once pretty soon after we got married that he wanted to do something important with his life something that mattered and he did he just never remembered any of it